Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. In this episode, David and Nick get totally awesome. Ooh and ah at the latest Black Panther happenings. Revisit our darkest nights with Paul Dini and pontificate on the master race. Stay tuned for all of this and more. All right, let's get this crap over with. I've got a PS4 downstairs. It's calling the name. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're addicted. I'm not addicted. I can quit whenever I want. I just don't what want to quit. It? I was asking you for your opinion on a comic, and you said you have time for comics. You have a PS4 now? Yeah, yeah. I live the PS4 life, bro. <laughs> I'm fast, a gamer guy. Live fast, die young. <laughs> live, live fast, die often, because controlling the Batmobile is... <laughs> so, oh, so like, you have the Batmobile in this game, right? And they like encourage you to to use it all the time, slash force you to use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes actually like kind of in cool ways. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just like, hey, we've really ham fisted, like that you have to open this door and get the uh, get the Batmobile in here. And like, I just feel like I'm so like I'm supposed to like be in the Batmobile more than I'm supposed to be out of it that I keep missing like side mission stuff because huh. it feels like they just want me to be like okay now you like you you live in the Batmobile like I forget that I can swing around like rooftops and find the mutilated corpses that Hush is leaving behind the, <laughs> I like the idea of it's just like oh you need to solve this puzzle you know go here find this clue and then just drive the Batmobile through that door that, that's like okay like you, there's this whole thing where you're at ace chemicals and it's like all right well you better open up the gates to you know because there's like these tanks in there okay cool i'll get the batmobile well now we have to get the batmobile inside of the building just you know because later on we're gonna have like one thing where you have to use it and like there's a part where you have to like use it to like raise an elevator up and then like lower yourself like it's, there's some cool uses but there's seriously times where like i'm expecting that like the last boss is I'm go- like it's going to transform into a giant Batman, and mm-hmm. I'm going to have a uh, mecha fight, which would be amazing if uh, if that happened. That that would be amazing. And guys, the Arkham Knight is totally not Jason Todd. Don't it's... even think that it is. I mean, why would it be? There's next to no association between Jason Todd and the Arkham name. It's true. It's true. Like you and you know they had to call him Arkham Knight because like if we say it's the Red Hood, people are gonna know instantly. Well, yeah, Pe- people they, people already knew instantly. It sounds like they basically want to do the under the Red Hood story, but obviously not make him the Red Hood, which I think is fine. And I mean, I I, I haven't played the game. I, I I assume you're not at the point where they reveal all the gory details. No, uh, I'm assuming they try to draw some relationship or association between Todd and uh, Arkham Asylum. But, uh, I, I mean, it hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, Arkham Knight's it's a cool name. It really is. It's a cool idea for a character. If anything, I like the idea of like a descendant or relative of you know who uh, of the Arkham family. You know, kind of like he's a psych. You know, think imagine him as being like you know he is a psychiatrist. He works. He's almost like the Harlequin of Batman. You know what I mean? Where like he 
you know, he's there, he's dealing with all these people that Batman has basically left on Arkham's doorsteps. And for in some stretch of the imagination way, he like becomes inspired to become a Batman like character and go out and he calls himself the Arkham Knight. Hmm. There's potential yeah. here. Or Arkham Guardian or something. I don't know. But the you know, gargoyle. Oh man, this is the nineties of the like the eighties he'd be called the gargoyle. gargoyle. No, not even like Arkham Gargoyle, it's the gargoyle. Just the gargoyle. It's surprising there isn't a Batman character called the Gargoyle. Well, I mean there was that cartoon. Well there was the gargoyles. cartoon Gargoyles, but it wasn't a Batman cartoon. It was essentially a Batman cartoon. Yeah. Which was, uh has it had as much relation to Batman as Jason Todd has to Arkham. Someone mentioned today that the Batman animated series oh good lord. Started in 1992. It did. Oh, man. That's weird to think. You're old, David. Eh, what are you going to do? Probably die eventually if time is <laughs> an indicator. You will die eventually. And, and keeping on this depressing trend, I, I realized as I was driving home from the gym tonight that, um, like, you think of all the people that you're close to. Now, I as an individual have not lost. I haven't had, like, a friend that's around my age diet like i know oh, i've had yeah, in, like, i've had these class. thoughts i've had these thoughts you know i've had people yeah. in my class that i knew of and you know had spoken to and but weren't really friends like i know they've died but mm-hmm. i haven't had someone that like i truly have a, like a personal connection with die and even whether it happens in the next couple of years or it happens in the next few decades like one of us in our social circles either the one we share or in our other social circles someone's gotta die first and the hell is not gonna be me uh, man, you don't know that. It's probably going to be me. Let's just face it. I'm the first one to die in a zombie apocalypse. I'll be the first one to die of any, young any, old age. Anything ever? <laughs> anything ever. A gust of wind. Yeah, we've we've pretty much accepted that eventuality. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, keeping on the game track, though, what what are your thoughts on the Nintendo uh, X NX Nintendo NX? I think it's called. Has there been information about it? Next to nothing, but what? How do you feel? Because I feel like the the Wii U didn't come out that long ago, but it probably did come out that long ago, and I just haven't kept track. Uh, the Wii U, man, I feel really bad for Nintendo. It's kind of a good time to buy some of their stock right now. Um, when did the 2012? Wii U come? So 2012. So it's so, like, okay, it's been three years. Yeah, that's a really short amount of time. But the problem was that they didn't advertise the Wii U as a new system. I didn't I mean, realize it was. I exactly. thought it was some add-on that you'd get for your Wii. Now, like, there's, I mean, there's a, you know, people who are more involved in this industry than myself um, could, you know, tell you a lot more. But a lot of the issue is that, yeah, it wasn't advertised as a new system. It seemed like you said, like an add-on. Like it wasn't coming out of the gate as here's like Nintendo's new system. It just seemed like the Wii was still happening. Um, and there's actually some really cool stuff with the Wii U, like that, that controller pad is mm-hmm. actually really nice and really awesome. And there's a lot of potential there that I don't know has been fully realized. I don't have one. I actually kind of want one, but the price is still a little bit too high for me to gravitate towards it. Cause I don't, there's not enough games in there that my, justify purchasing versus like me going over to my friend's house who has one and playing Smash Brothers and Mario Kart over there. Yeah, my I honestly think, and my brother, and this is to be expected because he's the gamer equivalent of how I am with comic books, uh, he basically, the second that uh, Super Mario Maker came out, he, oh, he didn't yeah. own a Wii U. He bought a Wii U just so he could play that game. 
I've heard that game is amazing, and I've seen some really cool levels off of it, and that's really fun, but not in a big appeal to me. Yeah, if to o- drop that kind of money right away. If open world Zelda actually happens, is that something they're working on? Yeah, like that is something that I could possibly get into. Is that supposed to be the next Zelda game, or yeah. is it supposed to be like a Zelda Online? Or no, no, no. It's like I don't know how they would do Zelda Online. You're the hero of time, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you. So, well, so when you say open world, you don't mean you mean something along the lines like, of like Elder Scrolls. I mean, like Hyrule is a big open world for you to go just out and explore. And Has the, it always been that way more or less? Uh, sort of. At least of. since Ocarina of Time. Well, but Ocarina of Time still sort of had its linear elements where there's parts of the map that you couldn't go to until you completed certain missions. Oh. Well, yeah, you know? I guess. Which, that, that's cool. I mean, that mm-hmm. I, I I haven't played a Zelda game really since Twilight Princess. Yeah, Twilight um, Princess was my last one. I played some Hyrule Warriors, which was pretty fun, but that's not... Was that, that was a fighting game, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't... Uh, I, I wanted to play Skyward Sword, but again, that didn't seem like enough of a reason for me to... Yeah, get a Wii? Get a, get a, I'm pretty sure Skyward Sword is Wii U. I mean, I, I, I commend I Nintendo's... Uh, desire to create innovative and unique gaming um, platforms. You know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with oh, it. I, I, I played the you. 3DS one. That was pretty good. But especially at least when it comes to a Zelda game, which would be a huge draw for me to, to, to pick up one of their systems now. I I really, like when I had Twilight Princess, like we, we got a Wii, but I hated playing it using the Wii stick. Mm-hmm. I would much rather just play a, any Zelda game just in sort of a classic remote classic remote kind of Wait, Skyward Sword was on the Wii? Man, I gotta get my Wii from my parents. Oh, yeah, it was. Why did I never play it? I don't know, because you're a weirdo. I mean, that goes without saying, but why did I (laughs) never play it? This is really disturbing me. I know they they were saying that the the next Zelda, that it was supposed to come out on the Wii U, but now they've kind of held it off, and they're probably waiting for it to be a launch title with the NX. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, well, this has been uh, gaming, the gaming talk podcast. Thanks the for gaming, the gaming, the for... intro. I feel like our intros usually end up being something kind of in general talk. It's, it's always fun, but you know, sometimes we have to, uh, we have to uh, to the Batmobile. Let's go. We have to get back on track. We have to talk about comics. So let's talk about comics. Oh man, Nick! Now it's been uh, past up issue eight. So aren't you ready to talk about Batman and Robin Eternal? Thanks for setting what me up. And the do. answer is no. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't, <laughs> feel, I don't feel bad about that at all. I'll, what is that noise? So, when we inherited the apartment, by inherited, I mean when we signed the lease. Right. Um, there, and I'd never seen this before. This certainly wasn't in my last apartment. There was a uh, Verizon had already pre-installed like this giant box thing that hides in our spare room closet. Mm-hmm. I am in the spare room. Um, and oh, whoa. Oh, oh. Oh. I apologize to everyone's ears. Sorry. Continue. No problem, David. Um, what was that noise? What? What was that noise? Oh, oh sorry. So, <laughs> so there's this giant box that I guess has something to do with like my internet service. Though I also have like a modem. I guess it's my modem. Like it's this giant ass modem that hangs on a wall like a leech, mm-hmm. and apparently it's the batteries are dying. Hmm. And so initially we thought it was like a smoke detector was dying or something. And we were like, 
oh, like I, I called the apartment people, and they were like, we'll come check it out. And I guess they checked it out, and I don't remember what the result was. I guess it was like, oh, I guess it's fixed. And then we heard it again, and I was like, and, we're, and like, whenever we hear, we're always in like the kitchen or the living room, far away from the room. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe it's our upstairs neighbors. Like theirs is dying, and they just haven't gotten it checked out. And I was like, okay, whatever. Then I actually was in the spare room, which I really only come in, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and I heard it loud and clear, but I was like, where? I, I was too lazy to figure out where it was coming from. And then Anna found out that it was, in fact, coming from the giant modem thing. Man, that story had everything. It really didn't, David. I almost feel bad about having to say the whole thing. About having to waste everyone's time? A little bit. I mean, I think this whole this whole uh, podcast is an exercise in wasting people's time. But what I love also is that we still haven't gotten into why you haven't read Batman and Robin Eternal. You're lazy and you hate me. That's fine. So let's talk about other comics. You know, we're wasting too much time on you. Let's get to the things <laughs> people really care about. Comics are important. Right. David, what's on the top of your pile? The top of my pile. Well, let me lean down this week at least. to my pile. And this week, I want to talk about Howard the Duck number two, which, uh, you know, you're asking yourself, wait a minute, weren't we talking about Howard the Duck, like, number five a couple months ago? And you're correct. Uh, then Secret this World... This one, he has a new hat. <laughs> well, actually, uh, this one, he doesn't. But Secret Wars happened and ruined everything. And also, did you hear that the last issue of Silver Surfer came out last week, I think? Uh, yeah. Like, the last issue of pre-Secret Wars Silver Surfer? Well, pre in the sense that it was one of their Marvel's last day issues, so it was mm-hmm. tying into the overall Secret Wars events, but it was one of the books that was taking place in those final moments of the pre-Secret Wars Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it, it is a pre-Secret Wars book, but it's technically part of a Secret Wars branding initiative, So, mm-hmm. but still heavily delayed. Anywho, so... Howard the Duck, uh, in the last issue, number one, he was attempting to get back to his own world using uh, like a gateway to the Nexus of World, and shenanigans happened. He was unable to get there, but he ran into a female rocket raccoon and a female Howard the Duck, and you're led to believe that, oh man, these must be creatures from another world who just ended up here. And this issue explains where they're from. So this issue is written by Chip Zdarsky, uh, my spirit animal, and it's illustrated by Veronica Fish as the guest artist. So immediately things are different. And immediately when change happens, I get uncomfortable and curl into a ball and cry. (laughs) But I got over it enough to check it out. So what happens, as we found out, is that the collector who had in the last volume collected uh, Howard the Duck and Rocket Raccoon had cloned mates for the two of them. So a female Howard and a female Rocket. Uh, the female Howard is named Linda. The female Rocket is named Shocket. I assume like she Rocket or something. Rocket Shocket. Rocket Shocket. And what this entire issue is about is that one of... Um, the collector's gatherers, one of his minions essentially, is put in charge of them. And over a number of years, he grows very close to them uh, to the point when, you know, the collector has no use for them, so he's going to put them in stasis because, you know, he doesn't have his male 
counterparts and is bored trying to find them. So when mm-hmm. they're going to get put into stasis, he doesn't like that they're getting hurt. So he takes them and then runs away with them. And then they live the life on the run. And, uh, you know, the girls start calling him dad. And they find a way actually to go into the past 25 years before, you know, the collector would have found them. So they have 25 years together growing up. Then they get to the point where, uh, you know, where the collector is going to be looking for them. So they go to go, you know, try to find this gateway to the Nexus of Worlds. And that's where they run into Howard the Duck. So this issue is very different and very kind of strange. Uh, Sounds very convoluted, it, but not necessarily in a bad way. Just no, in a it, it convoluted is, way. It is a complex story, but they pull it off really well. And this actually ends up being a very emotional story. The humor isn't really there in the way that it's been in Howard the Duck books. In fact, Howard the Duck doesn't even appear in this issue. Um, but this story is just so very compelling. And I was just into it. I mean, it took it took a couple pages for me to kind of catch on to what they were doing, because it seemed like okay, they were going to keep up the humor, and this is going to be a wacky adventure of the, you know the of she Rocket and she Howard in the Collectors Collective, but it turns into this kind of like heartwarming story about this guy raising these two girls, and it's very like family centered and, and oriented, and like some very tragic stuff happens along the way. Mm-hmm. And I was just feeling the emotions a lot, and I really have to like give praise to uh, Sadarsky. Um, I mean, there's actually a, there's a pretty funny interaction with uh, Silver Surfer, um, in you know when they first travel to the past, where Silver Surfer shows up and he's like, "Who are you, people?" Um, like because he's still the herald of Go- of uh, Galactus at this point. I almost called him Galaxus. Um, he's the herald of Galactus. You know, he's not like the hero that he's known to be today. And he's like very dramatic when he's talking to this guy. And the guy's trying to explain to him like, oh, you're going to be a hero and people are one day going to love you. And it's like kind of funny, but it's also, again, kind of cuts to the heart of this issue where like, hey, like, oh, here's some big humor. But it's like, no, 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 man, it's cool. It's It's okay to cry. There's a real poignancy to it. Yeah. And it's like, you know. Like no, I'm not. I'm not crying. That's just that's just dust in my eyes. I don't know what you're talking about. But it all just it works so very very well. I was a very big fan um, of this issue, and it's not something that I'd want all of the time out of this book. I really love Howard the Duck for what it is, mm-hmm. um, and as good as uh, as Fish did on this issue, um, which is just very fun that her name is Fish. Um, and it, it, you know, as good as she did on the issue, I really do love the team of Sadarsky and Canonis. Uh, I you know never know really how to pronounce it. Um, and that that would be a very big miss. But if we get something like this every once in a while, then hey, you know, I'm totally cool with it. Totally encapsulated. And isn't uh, Fish doing an issue of um, Archie? Archie, yeah. Yes, I think she did the most recent one. Or is that Annie that Wu? That was Annie Wu. I think she's doing the next one. I think Veronica Fish is Yeah, I Fish think she's on the next, the next issue. Uh, but yeah, Howard the Duck, number two. Real real stuff, man. Real stuff. Kind of something that cut to me in the same way that Rumble did. Uh, I don't remember what issue. Issue six. Was. Okay, that's weird. You remember that. Uh, I read it too. I'm not like... 
well, okay, but I, I can't remember the specific number, but just like where it's it's been this whole time like this action comedy book, and then suddenly things got a little bit serious, and it felt right. Like they handled it really well, where it, yeah. it worked emotionally weaving into the story, giving it a, a bigger depth, um, but without well, sacrificing what the book like is all about. Like it's not like suddenly a serious drama. It's like no, here's just some very real heart that was already there, but now we're taking time to express it. Well, I think it's, and I think some some books forget to do this, and other books maybe don't execute it very well. But you have to remember, both as a writer and as the the reader, um, or the creator and the reader, that you know, as ridiculous as a lot of these stories are, these the things that are happening, like the characters ultimately have to have some sort of reality and sensibility to them. And any any real person, you know, no matter how strong their fortitude might be or constitution, like they're going to have an emotional reaction to things. So just because you're fighting like a fire demon alongside like a barbarian scarecrow or you're traversing the nexus of all realities, well, whatever, you know, like it, there, there is a, always an emotional component to any action in a story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's good to reflect on that and actually slow the pace down and be like, don't forget to feel. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you totally cried at work while reading the story. No, I didn't cry during this. I did like shed a tear at Inside Out though. Watch that earlier tonight. Oh man, that was, that <laughs> I, was I, an, I haven't watched it yet. That was an like, emotional journey I was not prepared for. <laughs> I felt things that you've never felt. <laughs> but you know what, Nick? What did, what was on the top of your pile this week? So uh, a book that I've been very intrigued about, uh, I've been, and then from moved from intrigued to just being genu genuinely uh, excited about is the Totally Awesome Hulk. The kind of book that when it was first announced, everyone was just like, "The Totally Awesome Hulk? Are you kidding me? We are, like, we are run out of titles much? Yeah, we are completely out of adjectives at this point." <laughs> um, but it really is a title that fits and this is definitely going to be one of the gems of the all new all different Marvel era um, it is for those that don't know and how you don't know I don't know um, Amadeus Cho is in fact the new Hulk uh, and this issue is like 95% just fun it, uh, Amadeus Cho is obviously a character that uh, actually both uh, Greg Pak and Frank Cho um, are familiar with Frank Cho actually used Amadeus for a bit in uh, a Wolverine story he did uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so he's got history of the character. And Greg Pak, of course, created Amadeus Cho almost or just about a decade ago in like a short 15 page story. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost like without even realizing it, he set the groundwork for this to be possible because Amadeus was established as being a huge fan of the Hulk. Um, in his initial story and also being the eighth smartest person uh, on the planet uh, mm -hmm. at only like 15 years old so good for him uh, at this point though Amadeus is 19 we're eight months out from um, from Secret Wars and he's already uh, a bit comfortable in the Hulk role and he just revels in it he <laughs> loves it this is a an entity that he you know was always very fond of always rooted for always stood by the Hulk um, and this is his chance to kind of re full, it's almost like a, it's a power fantasy. You know, he's a, a scrawny, albeit incredibly intelligent person, but 
um, in a lot of ways, this book almost defies stereotypes where, okay, Asian people are, I mean, uh, this is, I don't mean for this to come out, like they're obviously very, very capable, but a lot of times in pop culture, uh, in popular media, they're, well, if they're going to be like physically capable in some way, it's going to be as a martial artist. Uh, and they're also usually like, you know, from their, their country of origin, whereas Amadeus is an, an Asian American, like emphasis on the American. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the Hulk, like, he's not a karate master. He is just, like, brute force. So, so kind of defying that stereotype of either sort of, like, the, the just weakling but smart Asian and just sort of the martial arts capable Asian, you know, with some, like, voodoo mystic background. Um, this is uh, just a guy that's just having fun and just, like, brawling his way um, through his obstacles. Um it also said some some interesting things. I've never been a huge Hulk guy. He's always one of those characters that I found it hard to get into. But this is, I think, like books like Superior Spider-Man that I can see myself, you know, just really sinking my teeth into because it's familiar enough but yet different enough. Um, that is a really bad sentence. <laughs> um, um, it does allude to things. You do see Bruce Banner in this issue. You see it, it uh, jumps a few months back where uh, Bruce Banner apparently uh, is helping Iron Man and Black Panther stop like a nuclear plant from overloading. Uh, and he turns into the Hulk and absorbs the radiation, but it's different from ga- gamma radiation. And you start to see that it immediately starts to have some ill effects on Bruce, but then it cuts back to the present. And all you know is that Bruce Banner, quote-unquote, lost control. Uh, and mm. that's why he's no longer around and or no longer the Hulk. Mm. Um, there was also an interesting scene where um, uh, Amadeus' sister tells him to go take a nap um, after a big monster battle. Um, and he takes a nap. And I didn't even realize at first that it jumped to a dream sequence. Oh, that stupid sound. Um, but he's like driving in a convertible down, you know, like a desert highway just talking about like how fun this is like how he's got the monster totally under control and the the panels start panning uh towards the trunk of the the convertible and you see in the trunk like kind of hastily taped down is the hulk trying to like peek out of it hmm. so it's like an interesting state of like you know is this just like something like red hulk where or, or even she hulk where like their hulk is unique to them you know what i mean mm-hmm. versus like did amadeus somehow steal the Hulk, not necessarily steal, but did he somehow come into possession of the Hulk? Like he, he transforms into the same Hulk that Bruce Banner trans- transforms into in theory. You right, know what I mean? Yeah, because these other Hulks, like no matter what, you know, they, I mean, they, you know, they're strong and they're powerful and you know they're they're more in control or whatever. But none of them ever beat like the Hulk, who is like the pure essence of Hulk. Of like you know, and that Hulk is so intrinsically tied to Bruce Banner's identity, his ego, his whatever. Um, so that that scene I think can be read in a lot of different ways. So it, it remains to be seen exactly how Amadeus is able to transform into a Hulk. Apparently, it doesn't take much to transform into a Hulk because there's been like ten different Hulks in the history of Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it it sounds like they're trying to play up the the, the way that in which Amadeus becomes Hulk. Hulk is unique. Uh, and not just a typical, like, oh, I was bombarded with gamma radiation and now I transform into a big monster. Um, at the core of the book, though, it's Amadeus and his sister, who I think this is her first appearance, and I'm totally blanking on her name right now. <laughs> um, but they're basically traveling in a flying uh, Korean barbecue food truck. Okay. 
Uh, it's an unassuming Korean barbecue food, food truck. And then I was just like, really? Like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, it's like their hideout van or whatever. And then boom, it does like a shield car thing where the tires invert and then it like blasts off to go to their next destination. Hmm. And I'm like, as someone where like where I currently work, like you get food, food, a different food truck every day. So I've become like that. familiar with the food truck culture. I thought it was just kind of funny to see. Uh, but their mission statement is they're going around and there's been a resurgence of uh, monsters. Uh, like in the beginning of the issue, he fights like a two-headed turtle monster. Um, you actually see that when they defeat them, they miniaturize them. Uh, and you see like a shelf of the monsters they've already captured. And if you're Marvel savvy, you'll actually notice some classic Marvel monsters from the pre-Fantastic Four Marvel publications. Hmm. Um, just kind of fun stuff. Long story short, it's a fun book. It's a great start. The issue sets up a lot. It sets up some of the main supporting cat. There's a fun cameo of actually Miles Morales near the end, along with She-Hulk. Uh, and they also introduce a new villain called Lady Hellbender, um, <laughs> who rides like a kind of mutant velociraptor thing. Um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's It's maybe not like as inherently goofy as um, uh, Howard the Duck can be, but it's definitely a book that, you know, it it represents the best aspects of Amadeus's character where no matter how smart he might be, he's impulsive, he's a rascal, he has fun, and he's totally reveling this. And <sighs> The Totally Awesome Hulk totally is the right title for this book. Hmm. Hmm. No, cool stuff. Uh, kind of like you, Hulk is one of those characters that I know about. And, you know, I, I mean, I like the Hulk. I like the story potential of the Hulk. Uh, but I've never really dug into it. And it's, I mean, sort of maybe even one of those ones where the Bruce Banner Hulk, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, how many more stories can we tell? But when they take the concept of that character and transplant it around, you can do things you couldn't normally necessarily do with with Bruce Banner and it's cool they found a way for you know the time being to uh to to run with it and to have fun and we'll see where Amadeus's faux hawk goes next <laughs> the totally awesome faux hawk no it's not totally awesome no. Well, there was something, I don't know if you and I were talking or we were reading some. we both read something where there was like the inevitable hulk but does that sound familiar to you at all? the inevitable hulk I didn't we, I think we talked about that. that like, I remember where that came from or what it was in reference to. The inev- I still like that, though. But, but the I still inevitable like it, yeah. Hulk. It's true. But, yeah, so that's the Hulk. And we got when we talked about Howard the Duck, we weren't mm-hmm. really able to get into it last week with all the Thanksgiving crazy crazy. That's um, right. So Jessica oh, Jones. Words, did, you, did you purchase anything on Black Friday? I purchased my PlayStation 4 like the day before and the price dropped. And then I emailed them and they gave me the Black Friday... Just like they, uh, they credit you back. So yeah. So, why did you buy it? The why did you buy it? I bought it on Thanksgiving. I bought it a few days before. Is what I should say. So earlier, and you, earlier you Black in the week, Friday was coming, and you still bought it. Because usually stuff like that doesn't go down in price. Uh, someone didn't do their research. Well, okay. I mean, like the Xbox One didn't go down in price. Other ones didn't go down in price. But uh, PlayStation Four. You've been out of retail too long, David. Uh, no, I haven't been out of retail long enough. <laughs> See, and I haven't been in retail since college, so I can still get more distance between me and retail. Thank you very much. I guess much. in my mind I was counting um, 
Chick-fil-A is. Nope. As retail, but I realize that's still quite crowded. Still kind of like a human services thing where you're forced to interact with the all manner of humanity. I don't know. I worked in the back for a long time, and it was glorious. I didn't have to deal with people at all. Oh, well, then I have nothing to say, David. How about instead of me talking out of my ass, we talk about Dark Knight 3. The oh, Master yes. Race. Dark Knight 3. Give me just a second to grab my issue because it's not right next to me. Dark Knight Trace. Eh. Luckily, it's nearby. Yep. And I'm back. Dark Knight 3. A good death? There's no such thing. So, in your opinion... How much of this do you think is Brian Azzarello? And how much of it do you think is Frank Miller? That seems to be a big question in the oh, air. That is... is the big, like... Yeah, that is that is the big question. I would say... You know, the story kind of came out where... It seemed like Brian Azzarello was really the main force behind it. And you just had him going to talk to... Frank Miller and Frank Miller was like, "Oh, you know, here's my idea." And as well was like, "Cool, thanks." And would run away and and go crazy with it. I can, I mean, Miller's fingerprints definitely are all over this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is a is a good bit of Miller concept with Azarello execution. I mean, I think obviously, I, I think Azarello is doing the brunt of the scripting. Though it does sound like, according to Azzarello's own account, that he was fairly entrenched in Frank Miller's home, like really beating the story into, you know, a full form before going in and, and probably, you know, realizing it in script. Right. Um, well, so yeah. I, I think Frank Miller's been downplaying his his contributions to the story. I It sounds, at least some people's accounts, is that he's doing it to be humble, like he doesn't want to take, you know, Azzarello's clearly put a lot of effort into the book and he doesn't want to. It sounds like he doesn't want to overshadow Azarello's contributions just because his name is attached to the book. And it is a different story when this is a book that, even though this is Frank Miller, like the Dark Knight universe, you know, the the Dark Knight uh, Returns and Dark Knight Strikes Again are Frank Miller's babies. You know, this isn't him trying to do it all on his own again. This is him with help. Right, and, and I, I think, and I'm not saying I'm not saying there's not Frank Miller aspects all over this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're definitely, I mean, Frank Miller's touch is definitely here, but I, you know, I do also see Azarello's, you know, finessing, Mm -hmm. like his his fine-tuning. When I, I I forget, like, in Dark Knight Returns, there was some, there was, like, the couple of guys that, like, there's the mutant speak, um, you know, there's the, the lingo the slang or whatever. Oh, I hated that part part in the beginning. Uh, with the, um, with the text. And this one, like, it starts with the texting where it was like, I seen him, the bat, BS. Nobody's seen him where it's like CN. For real. Uh, and that's something that Azarella had played with in, um, it's called Spaceman? Spaceman. Uh, that he did with Eduardo Riso, where in the future, basically, we, like, our actual verbal speech has kind of devolved into a, a lowest common denominator texting language. Right. Yeah. And, uh, Paper Girls kind of has a similar sort of idea. Actually, I like what they're doing in Paper Girls, where it's not just like, oh, they've they've dropped down to lowest common denominator speech, which there's part of that, but it's also like other, you know, we, we just changed the way that we've talked entirely. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, 
yeah, I didn't love the text talk at the very beginning. Um, there are parts of that that were actually like, I have no idea what this is supposed to be saying right now. And I get, I get the idea that of what happens. This guy's running away from the cops. They're about to shoot him. And then, oh, hey, Batman stops him. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say about so there's So, yeah, the book as a whole. And this is something maybe I was going to talk about a little bit later. But I'm just going to go ahead and throw it right now here at the beginning of our discussion of it. It's kind of in a strange place because, you know, the Dark Knight was our, was a vision of the future in the 1980s, um, or a vision of the DC future based on what was happening in the 1980s. This book, you know, feels like maybe they're trying to look at a vision of the future based on today, but that's sort of a problem because it should be still filtered through that 1980s lens. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you know, because like there's the texting at the beginning. Well, there was no texting in The Dark Knight uh, or Dark Knight 2, which, you know, I've, I've never read. Um, but there's just like, like little things like that, like elements like that, that like would have been all over The Dark Knight that are that are nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, that's a good thing because it kind of allows it to stand on its own and not be so beholden to the previous what's come before mm-hmm. um i mean maybe all in all that for some people that'll be an issue because you know this is the, a world that they love so much and now they're looking at it and it looks different than what they've known before uh i, I don't know what, what do you think it's so i i did ultimately like this first issue and i have some kind of some more of like they're more of like coulda woulda shoulda comments um for example, like the Andy Kubert does a, a great job, kind of not letting his own style vanish, um, but also emphasizing some really Frank Miller as qualities when Frank Miller's at his prime. Oh yeah. Um, and and this like... book is definitely something to where, interestingly enough, a lot of the story beats reference things that happened in Dark Knight Strikes Again, which I know you haven't read. Um, so I thought that was interesting because I know, like, critically, uh, it's generally panned. Um, even though I still think I must have been on a drug trip when I read it because there's a part of me that actually likes it. Um, well, this is coming from the guy who didn't like Days of Future Past. Continue. <laughs> yeah, apparently I have no credible uh, opinions. But one thing that I... Now that, like, once I, I saw the coloring, coloring work, the colors are good for a modern comic book. And I get that they made the creative decision to even though this technically only takes place six years after um, The Dark Knight Returns, the fact that they're kind of placing it in a more modern context. Another thing about Dark Knight Returns is if it's technically, if, um, what am I trying to say? The book came out in like 1984. If it's supposed to be like, it was like only supposed to be like 10 years later or something like that, mm-hmm. um, than it would have been in like the early 90s when uh, Dark Knight Returns was taking place. Uh, and then you had six years onto that and you're closing in on 2000. But uh, I, I kind of wish that it, they tried to erect a future of like 1996, you know, mm-hmm. like a future version of 1996. I think that the text in the beginning, thankfully, it was fairly quick. Uh, I another thing that if if you if you look back like you know Dark Knight Returns was very much a commentary on the period it came out in. Dark Knight Strikes Again, for all its acid trippiness, 
Um, and I don't remember like 2001 or 2002 when it came out very well. You know, I was pretty, I was still fairly young. Um, I could tell that it was also very much a product of the time that it came out. Right, and, and, a lot and, of, like, and that's kind of a hallmark of these books of of what they do. Yeah, you know, so I think I I think I totally respect why it's very much like when you see like the newscasters, you know, you see people like riffing on John Stewart or Bill O'Reilly or yeah, that was I so, other ones. like that was so obvious. Um, you know, and that's something like in Dark Knight Returns, the president is clearly Reagan. Um, in, um, I can't remember in the in Dark Knight Strikes again. One thing I don't know if you realize this. You notice how in the book they commented on how the president has to take like an annual uh, like blood check or something or oh, something like I that. Get where they mentioned that. But yeah, he had to get like um, he had to basically they basically have to confirm his identity because in Dark Knight Strikes again, uh, you find out that the president is actually a hologram created by Lex Luthor and Brainiac. Makes sense. So, uh, and, and that obviously was a commentary on sort of like puppet politicians. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a well, whole lot of commentary and subtext yeah, and, uh, I mean, in Dark Knight's this... that's not necessarily subtle. Well, in, in this, I mean, yeah, no, there, there's no subtlety with these books. Like in the, you have the opening scene where a, you know, a, a black teenager is running from the cops and apparently, you know, they're reaction is to shoot him above anything else. And, you know, this kid thinks he's going to die because he's a black kid getting chased by the cops. Like, that's not subtlety at all, given what's, you know, what's, yeah, what's been what, going what, on. And I, th- and I think, for, been I think when you have a character like Batman too, I think that's okay. I think that, especially if you're trying to, in some ways, even through the lens of a comic book, trying to give some kind of social commentary, whether you agree with it or not, a character like Batman, he has, he takes such a blunt approach, you know, to, to life, to his mission, to his method. It's like, it, it, you can almost justify like, well, a lot of this, you know, subtext and all that is just very obvious. And I think it's okay for the story to ride that. It certainly didn't, I was more of like, I noticed and I was like, Oh, haha, yeah. Like that's, that's, that's like totally like what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, though technically I guess it should be, uh, Noah Tyler in the role and not John Stewart. So they're already dated at this point. Right, yeah. I thought the exact same thing. Like, uh, <laughs> like what's Stewart, too slow. Um, uh, though fair, maybe when they were drawing it, John Stewart was still in the role. Um, the, Total sidebar. Um, so, oh, well, I think one of the, the coulda, woulda, shoulda things I was going to say was that I really wish that they had tried to ape Lynn Barley's colors from Dark Knight Returns. Mm. I think that would have made a huge difference because this book, it's it's not a bad Batman story. It's and it's it's also you know not it's an interesting well, um, DC story, but mm-hmm. the, with the coloring, it makes it feel just like any other current like dc book and i think if they yeah. had aped the lynn varley colors it would have given it that that would have truly emphasized that dark knight returns aesthetic don't, I don't know, man the color, try to the ape colors, dark knight returns but right the colorings the colors are so good in this book though i would say even maybe a little bit above what you're seeing in other books right now especially like in some of the shadowing and stuff I don't know. I, I oh, I agree. The coloring is great, and technically, compared to like the the, the coloring capabilities we have now, to what they had in nineteen the nineteen eighties, like Linvari's colors, you know, weren't great. I suppose by comparison, if you think of like technical capabilities uh, or technological capabilities, I should say. But that's why it's like part of me wanting to see it done in those colors, so that 
like it would keep because I think colors play such a huge role, especially versus like black and white books and with colored books. Like color, you could have especially when like, and this is more of like those issues where like they're really just trying to get them out of the door. When you have like two separate artists in a book and they're both being colored by the same person, like that can go a long way to maintaining the uniformity of a story mm-hmm. and, and an aesthetic that you expect. And because Dark Knight Returns has such a strong aesthetic like you see it and like you know that's Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. I feel like for this book to be taking place in the same universe I just wish that it would have sort of mimicked that color scheme uh, even if it could obviously can do a lot better by today's standards yeah uh, let's let's talk about two segments real quick uh, first one let's talk about the Wonder Woman segment um, your thoughts on Wonder Woman um uh, breaking down the execution a little bit, I mean, the scene was per- was fine. Um, one comment that I saw online, and now when I go back and I'm like flipping through the pages, um, the, the the Minotaur or whatever it is she's fighting, Centaur or whatever, Minotaur Centaur, the the Minocentaur or whatever Cenotar, um, he changes size throughout the story, and I don't think he has size changing powers. I think it was just artistic rendering from page to page um he seems oh yeah he is like a centaur minotaur i just totally forgot that he had like the horse body underneath um it could have been the way that like they he like was framing the the camera so to speak uh in the way but basically there's a scene wonder woman jumps up and she's fighting him and he's big um but his hand is probably you know potentially the size of like her torso um and then there's a scene where uh in the next the next page where she's putting both hands on his fist yeah it I, is it's gigantic. funny it's funny I didn't, even, I didn't even notice that as well and even even on the previous page when he's grabbing a guy he's you know when he he is grabbing his entire body in one hand where like it yeah. should be like he should be able to fit his entire well when i say body i mean like his chest like yeah like the neck area. chest yeah. upper body area where like in on that page where then he's fighting Wonder Woman, she has to use both hands. Like he could easily grab her entire body, like head to toe, in, in, his in one hand. So that I, I you know, I, I don't want to you know dig too deep on that. It, it could just be me. a sort of um, pers- mistake. It doesn't really matter. I didn't notice it the first go around. I'm not usually that um, picky when I'm reading the stories. I can't think of the right word. Here's, a, um, here's, here's another thing I didn't notice is the Wonder Nipple. You didn't notice the Wonder Nipple? At least nope. I noticed the Wonder Nipple. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I just skipped over that. Just, you know, I mean, it's not, like, super highlighted, but if you're just like, whoop, yep, there's right. a nipple. It's not like, oh, hey, it's super sexual. It's She's feeding a baby. Yeah, you know? exactly, and that's the other thing. And I think, on one hand, I actually applaud the book for showing that. I know it's a prestige book, and, you know, sometimes in a prestige book you can get away with things that you're not going to see in a monthly DC book. Mm-hmm. Um, or a standard DC book, um, but I'm just like it's kind of cool that in a very small, brief way they're referencing um, breastfeeding uh, and not shying away from it, and like turning the, the camera, so to speak, away from like the image, and be like we can't, we can't show a boob because come on, guys, it's a boob. It's not the end. Whoa, of the whoa, 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 Nick. Okay, <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Sorry, I can't... know you get like really anxious around breasts. We but... can't, we can't people, we can't have people knowing that uh, breasts exist and that babies use them for sustenance. That's just insanity. I'm sorry, David. We should just delete the last like 30 seconds of the show. Done and done. <laughs> I'm gonna leave the last um, half an hour. It's, 
But and, it, and this is again this uh, Jonathan's obviously because he's a baby and this is three years, so there's no reference of Jonathan the baby um, being any kind of potential character in Dark Knight Strikes again. And I keep want to keep emphasizing like this book really really does continue from Dark Knight Strikes yeah. again, more than tries to ignore it and just follow from Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, it is and, and and Dark Knight Strikes again was really as well. It really is a DC universe story. Um, and if and I guess um, full disclosure, spoilers, etc. Like the master race is going to be the Kryptonians of Kandor. Right. Uh, if right. that wasn't uh, completely obvious at this point. Well, um, yeah. So that kind of brings us or me to the next point: is Superman's exile self-imposed, or did someone put him there? I'm going based on the dialogue of his daughter, um, who. I mean, unfortunately, was drawn by a crazy Frank Miller during Dark Knight Strikes again. Did not look really great. I'm mm-hmm. kind of digging her look done by Andy Cooper here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as Superman's exile, I think yeah. it's self-imposed because her comment is basically like, "Why did you let the ants knock you from the sky?" Yeah, no, it and he's trapped in ice, sitting on a throne. Like that seems like he would have purposefully done that. I think he just came, sat down, got depressed, and his body can obviously last under extreme conditions for a while and I think he just eventually just kind of froze over him mm-hmm. I mean it's ice it's not like Superman can't break out of ice so he's clearly just sitting there like totally beside himself um, just being because I, I think when you look at his role in both Dark Knight Returns and in Dark Knight Strikes again he really was kind of a government lackey like whether it was because they were holding something over him and forcing him into servitude or he just um, thought that he was working um it, like he was guys. aligned with right. the right ideals. Uh, who's who's she the daughter of? So Superman, Superman and Wonder Woman. Okay, I don't remember if they mentioned that or not. Yeah, and I assumed I, as much. Um, it, you know, he it's it's. I'm really curious how, how Superman's story is going to play through this because um, he's always like he's he's as much as it's been the Dark Knight Returns. This has also been a Superman story, and this sounds like it's going to be as much a Superman story as it is a Batman story, given yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, the they're, potential of the Master Race. They're setting up, at least in this, like three distinct storylines, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. And, of course, there's a, a little reveal at the end of, oh, what's going on with this Batman? Things are different. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne isn't maybe who we think he is. Um, just, you know, totally cool that they're setting up this big stage now, like, the question comes, like, are they going to be able to pull off the execution? Is this going to be a Dark Knight Returns or a Dark Knight Strikes Again? <laughs> and obviously, being that this is issue one it's, of eight, it's, it's going to be a while time. before number eight ever comes. I know yeah. we've got this issue, which technically came out in November, so we have one this issue and I think one in January. And then in February, they take a break from the main story and they're actually going to have a prequel comic come out. Boo. That takes place before Dark Knight Returns, Boo. drawn by John Romita Jr. Woo! Uh, and still writ- co-written between Miller and, and Azzarello. Yeah. Um, and then they get back to it. So it's probably going to be in the middle of the summer when we actually see issue number eight. If not later. I heard they pushed back uh, Secret Wars again. They did. Secret Wars number nine is now coming out in January. Good cough, Lord. cough. No one, you know, was is surprised. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we... I mean, we'll, this is obviously a book that we're going to keep talking about as it goes on. People who are super apprehensive, I think it's way too early to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know, like there, you know, like the way they set up is there could be really, 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 really cool stuff. There could be really, really, really stupid stuff coming out of this, and maybe this is going to be a book that'll be better served to read as a whole. So you know, I think we'll kind of talk about it, and I, I think we should try. You know, it's going to be over a year from now, but when the book is released in collected format you know and after we have some time where we haven't read it i think we should revisit it and mm. then talk about it as a whole dark knight revisited dark knight, is that going to be the fourth one dark knight revisited dark knight <laughs> yeah uh and, and on that note folks uh if you haven't heard frank miller has said like this has totally jazzed me up and now it's become part three of four and there will be a right. fourth volume oh, of boy. the dark knight series yeah i think we talked about that actually um on here oh i think we did yeah because we also talked about how he wants to do the carrie kelly oh right that was actually the title of the last episode oh, yeah yeah yeah. well no episode before this one or, or before, before before that one um i'm very curious about carrie kelly's current predicament obviously trying not to uh spoil things but it's very interesting uh, anyone that went on CBR and got duped into reading what they thought was a harmless article, yeah, uh, Ooh, of, Kevin Hardy got spoiled for a lot of people. That what the ending was, yeah. So for those who, I mean, yeah, I, we 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 won't say because I didn't know actually, and it was kind of a cool little thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of funny going back and looking at, you know, images again and being like, wait, was that like foretold and like body images and stuff? Um, but okay but if i try to like be i'm being really vague if i try to be any more specific i'm going to give stuff away so we'll just move on past the dark knight 3 the master race uh how much jessica jones have you seen by now i'm i've seen the first five episodes oh, the last man. episode i saw they attempted to kidnap um Kilgrave. um Kilgrave and then oh. he apparently hired a team of it mercenaries to bothers me you. so much they didn't check him for a tracker before Oh, yeah. it bothers me so much. You would think with that was one such... ex-military guy, Jessica Jones, and Patsy Walker being a paranoid person, they yeah, would. Yeah, that was but... so poorly done. Like, that that drove me insane. Where I was like, you, like, because she, cause she was like, they, they get to the location, she's like, wait a minute, he's wearing a tracker. Like, she doesn't pat him down all of a sudden. She just realizes, like, oh, he's wearing one in his coat. Like, why didn't you realize that much earlier? And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know. I mean, it, it serves the story well, and I think from that point on, things get really great, and, oh, that show is so dark. So very, very dark. But, yeah? Oh, yeah, man. When when you when you get to the end of it, we can talk about it. We can probably talk about it uh, whole hog, because it'll have been enough time that people have seen it, and they can get over us spoiling anything, because, come on, people, you've had, like, two weeks at this point. It's your own fault. It's your own fault. All right. How about, um, hmm. You know, I had kind of a fun question, kind of a what if, uh, who versus who, but, you know, we'll talk about it another time when we are, uh, have more time. Um, but for uh, right now, we're getting a visit from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. With all the news that he's bringing us. So let's, let's talk about him. Let's talk about this news. So last week we reported that Civil War had a new trailer coming out. It was very exciting, uh, very cool stuff. I just want to point out to you, Nick, that I'm not the only one in the world who thought that trailer made it seem like they're fighting over who gets to hang out with Bucky. 
but one thing that it did was it gave us a brief look at the Black Panther, and now we have gotten a much better look at him, thanks to Entertainment Weekly. We got a full-on picture of the outfit, not just the promo one we've seen before. And Nick, what is your initial take on this Black Panther? Uh, I'll mirror some other comments I saw. First off, it's it actually is a really cool-looking costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. It would be cool if it was maybe more black. I think they emphasize some silver parts of it too much, though they do mention that it's actually made of a vibranium mesh, which actually sounds kind of cool. I don't think that's ever really been tackled before, the idea that the suit itself is made out of a metal you know, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's cool. Uh, overall, I mean, it's it's a great costume. It, I'm sure it's going to look great on screen. Yeah, and the uh, texturing, the texturing is because an all black costume on screen would be pretty boring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't all be Daredevil in mm-hmm. his black costume, but granted, he had his face to break it up. True, true, true. Uh, what you said? There were some other comments though. No, that that was actually oh, that was it. That was it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I say multiple comments? I just it, I just meant that more that the co- I think a lot. I think the costume is coming off primarily favorable, positive and favorable. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the only criticism is that maybe there could be less silver emphasis on it. But uh, but I think given that you know in story, it's because it's made out of vibranium mesh. Having some silver can make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the in-story reason for them saying, like, they probably did concept arts and screen tests of an all-black costume and were like, man, this doesn't, like, really stand out on screen when you have him standing next to all these other guys in really bright, colorful costumes. He's just kind of, like, falling flat. So him having a little bit of texture will really kind of help him to, to pop out and to be a little more dynamic his movements will seem a little more dynamic if you can see how he's moving instead of like oh he's like a black blob um and there's also uh some black panther concept art is this for the movie that's actually for the the upcoming comic book oh. uh, Coates. um it just you know it's a, a cool little preview of what you can expect from brian stelfreeze's art um, I think there's actually a scene. They, they, there's a, one of them is shows Black Panther kind of like pushing on someone, almost with like a, a force. And apparently, they, I, it sounds like they might be adapting that vibranium suit thing into his costume in the comics, um, mm. where a cool application of it could be um, because the whole like it absorbs sound or like he could actually like redirect that and like re-exert that force out at an enemy or something. I don't know. Potentially cool. It, the art looks cool. You can find it on comic book resources. Um, you know, uh, if you're if you're just looking for a Black Panther kick, and uh, yeah, it's on there. It's yeah, cool. Very very cool. Uh, Nick, what else is happening in the news? Uh, let's see here. Uh, ooh, Lexi Alexander. Uh, she was actually, if you did not know this, the director of Punisher Warzone was actually a woman, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, uh, will be directing an upcoming episode of Supergirl. Uh, I have not seen Punisher Warzone, so I know that it's not like it's still not apparently not like the Punisher movie people are looking for. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it was bad, bad. Um, but and I know that she's certainly been an outspoken director, and it sounds like she she's pretty confident and and can hold her own. Um, so maybe she'll she'll probably bring something really cool to Supergirl. Yeah, she also directed an episode of Arrow. Oh, I, th- I think I knew that. I thought she had the episode Beyond Redemption. Um, Is that in the most recent season? Yeah. Uh, huh. 
Is this the one that had... Uh, no, I thought it was the... Um, um, the episode with Matt Ryan, but it's not. I th- oh, it's oh, the one before. Oh yeah, I remember. It's the one where she has, uh, where Laurel has um, Sarah like chained in the basement, and has her like dad come and see her, and like they they have those really emotional scenes. Oh was, yeah, okay. The best she definitely got a season. lot out of her actors. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of the best episodes of the season that had that really great. Um, Oliver and, and Detective Lance scene as well, I believe. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, that's actually pretty exciting, and I'm really behind on Supergirl. Um, and I want to get caught up, because I heard the Red Tornado episode was really cool, and I would oh, like yeah? to... Yeah, I would like... I mean, I'm actually surprised they went with Red Tornado like, full-on, and um, I mean, did you see, like, the pictures of his costume and stuff? I mean, I wasn't super impressed with the costume, but I, I understood know, it was, like, that... a TV show. Well, yeah, I mean, like, for Red, you know, for a TV show, it looks, like, pretty good, man, I thought. You know, man, you're just, you're being really negative about it. <laughs> what am I being negative about? I... Yeah, jeez, you're really harsh in my vibe, man. I mean, he's no, he's no vision <laughs> in the movie, but, I mean, like, they also have, like, bajillions of dollars to make the vision. And Paul I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen him in action yet. Like, I'm looking at a picture of him on Google right now. And, I mean, for what it is, cool. Like, it, it, it could go either way. Because, unfortunately, like, you're showing, like, on his arms. Like, they have, it makes it look like a gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, a, a joint, whatever you want to call it, gear. Um, and it's, like, if it's just actually, like, a rubber suit kind of thing, like, that could look really bad. But I, I haven't seen it in action yet, so I don't know if they use some CGI on top of it to make him more mechanoid. Mm-hmm. Not that not that Red Tornado is super mechanoid. He's designed like the Vision to be more uh, human like than robot like on the outside. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's all I got. I actually feel like the Vision or the, the Red Tornado, like the Vision, shouldn't be that cost effective to make, um, especially because they're like in this one they they add a lot of padding and extra detail to them to make them look more. Like the extra shoulder pads, the chest plate, and all this stuff, and I feel like if he's supposed to be like the most like advanced android ever, and his body is generally, you know, as humanoid as you and I, they, I feel like they could have stripped away a lot of that extraneous detail and kept it more simplified. But they probably didn't want to be called copying the Vision, even though Red Tornado and the Vision are kind of like the Marvel slash DC equivalent. Funny how that happens with those two companies. Yeah, they have characters that are similar to one another. Black Canary, Black Widow. Uh, I haven't even really thought about those two. Yeah, Hawkeye, Green Arrow. That's yep, all, that's Hawkeye. it. That's, that's the that's the end of the, uh, the list. <laughs> and, and that's actually the as far as the extent goes. Yep. Um, though both both the Archers and the um, Black named people uh, have been. In, I don't know. How do you know? I'm really bad. The, uh, the, 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 the whatever. Uh, they're actually have both been in romantic relationships, mm. so that's another interesting thing. Um, I, but I, I guess have no idea what Green, you mean. But okay, Green Arrow and Black Canary have oh. been romantically involved, and, and Black Hawkeye Widow and, Black and Widow. Hawkeye. Okay, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. So I, I made the mistake of looking at the Facebook comments 
comments on a comic book resource post. Have you ever done that? Uh, not recently. Don't do it ever. Don't. Why? Because they're horrible, especially when it comes to like any DC announcements, any DC properties. The people like there's so so much hate, like so much stupidity accompanied with it. Like they're talking about you know ever since they cast Ben Aslick as Batman. First of all, <laughs> that is a genius name, and why am I just now thinking of it? Um. But someone was going on about how, you know, like, oh, Gal Gadot's all wrong. If Marvel has, you know, the the foresight to cast Scarlett Johansson, it's like, hold up. Like, Scarlett Johansson is, like, a good actress, but she's not, like, an amazing, you know, nothing like against her. I enjoy her in the movie she's in, but she's not like when I'm like, hmm, who's someone who's really well known for their acting? Meryl Streep. Like, I don't immediately go like Scarlett Johansson. It's like, come on. Like, and we all, we haven't even seen Gal Gadot like in this role yet. So, you know, people need to just like calm, calm yourselves. And man, Nick, I'm a little upset that Jimmy Kimmel's starting right now. And you know, that trailer is not going to be released until super late for us. Are you sure? I mean, I feel like they'd release it right at the same time. You think they're going to wait? Oh, if it's just starting, though, yeah. they're going to wait until the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Wait, how long is the Jimmy Kimmel episode usually? I think it's an hour. People watch Jimmy Kimmel for an hour? People watch Jimmy Kimmel? <laughs> um, I mean, I assume that Jimmy Kimmel episodes are... Uh, Trailer, yeah, Liv Tyler, Notorious. So yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a bit, man. No, I, no. I'd be like, oh, let's pause the show right now. I was actually like we'll thinking that this whole time. I'm like, if it, if it and talk like nothing changed. Yeah, like if it pops up, like we would stop and like watch it, or like we'd watch it live on the show and react to it and discuss it immediately. But that's not gonna happen. So. You know, I'm just gonna dry these tears with something. I'm not. I'm not quite sure yet. I just. I really want to see the trailer. I just. That's all I got. That's all the emotions I'm capable of. Uh, that hurt, man. You. you know, I could feel the pain. Marvel's Agent Carter delayed by two weeks. Well, cool. Hopefully, they are spending more time to make things awesome. Heard the show is great. Still haven't seen it. What are you gonna do? Uh, Debbie's actually been finishing or she actually watched in a week the entire second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And I was, you know, I'd catch an episode here or there while she was watching it and I watched the last probably three or four with her um, and I'd already seen it all before. I actually, you know, the the, the second season was better probably than I, I had, you know, initially thought. It, it definitely had some some pretty good moments. It's not my favorite superhero show on TV right now, but, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. And it was fun, like, finally having someone else to talk to about it, you know? Because you can kind of hash out what you do and don't like versus, like, me just coming on this show and being like, here's a bunch of word barf nebulous thoughts. Like, where it's like where I have someone I can talk to about specific scenes. I'm like, oh, maybe I did like that and I didn't like that. What I'm saying, Nick, is that you're a horrible sounding board. I apparently am. Uh, and oh my god, I just dropped something. Uh, in other news, um, uh, Paul Dini announces a new Batman graphic novel. Interestingly enough, coming out of Vertigo, yeah, that was uh, such a bizarre That's an interesting thing, and I mean, it's not a, a straight up Batman tale. 
Uh, he will be partnered with Eduardo Riso mm-hmm. of A Hundred Bullets and Spaceman fame. He usually tends to work with uh, Brian Azzarello, and I'm assuming he, I think he's from Spain, actually. I think he does uh, a lot of non-comics work uh, out of Spain. Um, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but he's doing the art for this graphic novel. It actually also sounds like a long graphic novel, like over 121 pages. And it actually tells the story of a traumatic event that happened in Paul Denny's life. So it's more of like a memoir, an autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, but he integrates it with Batman characters where while he's dealing with recovering from a traumatic, I think it was a head injury? Yeah, that's what it looks um, like. He, he's visited by uh, various Batman characters and villains. So yeah, um, he, he describes them as the Greek chorus. Greek for, chorus, yes. For, for, those, for those who don't know what the Greek chorus is, in uh, Greek plays... There is a group called the Chorus who would give commentary on what's happening, give insight, kind of help move the story along and get us in the heads of the characters a little bit more and kind of narrate some stuff that was happening that we couldn't uh, immediately see. Um, yeah, there's there's some interesting quotes. Uh, apparently, you know, this is very, very personal to him. Um, I'm not saying I talk to cartoon characters all the time, but the characters are very real to me, he explains, quickly adding, in a very non-insane way, which I totally relate with. I totally get what he's saying, where these characters are so ingrained, and these mythos are so ingrained into our lives, where when we talk about them, we're not talking about them, you know, we, we don't talk about them, like, as a story, we talk about them as, like, oh, no, 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 these people, like, exist. And like they do these things and we get really excited about the stuff they do and like when they're beat down we we hate it and we don't you know we get sad when they're sad um i'm, I'm really looking forward to this story and i love seeing people you know people's relationship to these characters like fleshed out in very real ways i i mean i agree i i actually like at first i was like paul diddy and war riso doing a batman book like Heck yes! And then I was like, oh, okay, it's not like a straight-up Batman story. I was like, but that sounds like really emotionally compelling and just yeah. a really unique way to approach it. So it definitely piques my interest, and I will definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely... When it comes d- around. Definitely going to read it. It seems like it's going to be a little bit rough, you know, at times. It, sound, it sounds a little harsh. Yeah. I'm totally in on it. It's totally very cool. Well... In other news, Brian K. Vaughn, who never heard him before in my life, I think he's a relatively new writer. I think he's like a, a mime artist. Uh, he's like street miming. Man, I swear that buzz is getting louder. It it really feels like it is. Uh, and it, it's following you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin return in new creator-owned series called Barrier. And that's all we really know. Well, or do we know more? Do you know more? I haven't. Obviously, I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it either. It seems like it takes place on a border, or having to do with a border, border, a barrier of some kind, if you will. It will um, be. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely something I keep an eye. On. I actually realize that I have yet to finish um, the Private Eye. Oh, here you are giving me all this crap about the Private At least Eye. I st- 
started it, you jerk. What's what's better, to have started it and not finished it, or to have not started it and uh, well, not Well, if cared? I don't want to make myself feel bad, and I think of all the things I've started but not finished, I'm going to go with at least I started it. Better to start things, David, and not fully realize them than to not start them at all. I don't think that's true. And live forever not knowing what it is you missed out on. Where you go, oh man, you tried. You tried. I don't think it worked out for you. Yeah, it was like, I was, I, you know, I, it's just, a, I, you know, I did what I could. I, it's, you know. Got something in your eye there, big guy. But, uh, yeah, so that, that kind of, that kind of does it for news. Yeah, it kind of does. Let me make sure I don't have any other news stories. Uh, nope. Breaking news, David is dumb. Hey, shut up. All right, so, you know, now we have some time, actually, to talk about this sort of what-if question. Uh, right. I actually okay. go for it. I heard this on another podcast. I thought it was an interesting idea. Who would, like most David things, he steals it. Who would win in a fight? Sandman or Clayface? Uh, at first, my when you first said Sandman, I was you thinking, thinking of the like the Vertigo, the you know Neil Gaiman Sandman. Yeah, I was like, eh, interesting. Um, but Sandman versus Clayface <sighs> with Clayface, does he? Um, is his powers more like I mean clay? Like, is it just the fact that he's clay? So he's more like a muddy substance, whereas Sandman is usually like a dry substance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, besides maybe the natural skin oils. <laughs> I'm funny. Um, Where are you? A little bit. Um, that it. Wow. You're like that's the kind of things like you don't ask those kind of questions because the answer like you'll never be happy with the answer. I mean, come on, man. You, you gotta have a thought on it. You know, Sandman can turn himself into like pretty much any shape, and he can harden himself. But so can Clayface. They're they're effectively like equally powered. I guess if I just had to go with like gut instinct preference, like I obviously lean more towards Spider Man, I would say Sandman. But at the same time then I think of like my sort of um brain canon of Clayface and I always found that Clayface was a lot more menacing, more tragic, scarier he's, he's much, than Sandman. He's much creepier. Much creepier. So if I went with like that kind of basis, you know, for maybe that like maybe Clayface would cross lines that Sandman wouldn't. Though I feel like there aren't many lines that Sam would cross. Clayface always seemed a lot more irredeemable, now, you know, now, and sad than than Sandman. Yeah, Clayface has sort of always been a more of a con artist, like imitation versus you know brute force kind of guy. He's not quite like Killer Croc. I can't really think of many times in the comics that we've really seen him like change his like hand into a hammer and take mm-hmm. a swing at um at Batman. I mean he does in the uh in the Arkham City game, he's like the final boss. Cause the whole reveal in that game and this game came out a long time ago, so I don't care about spoiling this, is that there were two jokers one of which was Clayface the entire time. Yeah, which one died? The real Joker the or real the Clayface Joker. Joker? The real Joker. Um, and this this game starts with the incineration of Joker's body. 
But of course he still shows up because Batman gets dosed with fear toxin. And what does Batman fear? That the Joker would be in his head commenting on everything he's doing. And I really love that, actually. Plus it's great to have Mark Hamill anytime. To, uh, anytime, anywhere, any place. Man, uh, which you know brings us back to Is Luke Evil? Which brings us back to Sandman versus Clayface. <laughs> um, I guess... I guess I'm going to have to go with Clayface. I'm leaning a little more towards Clayface as well. Yeah, I, I want to say Sandman, but I when I, I think of who could be, who's more threatening in my mind, like just with my immediate emotional reaction, I find Clayface to be there. Yeah. So I think that might, that kind of presence well, might give him an edge. Plus I feel like Clayface also has that like moisture that... Mm-hmm. Sandman is constantly being defeated by like Sandman's either defeated by vacuum cleaners or Spider-Man like convinces him to like go to the water park and yeah you know it's like so under, the, yeah. under the guise of like we're gonna have a fun day together and then you sucker there's water Clay, here can handle moisture better so that 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 can make a huge thing I mean if Hydro-Man shows up <laughs> it's then it's all over for both of them because I mean, just bombard them with water and they'll break apart to a million pieces. Yeah, yeah. Most of Spider-Man's techniques for defeating Sandman are get Sandman and Hydro Man to stand within five feet of one another, <laughs> and it's just like a whole muddy mess. And Electro. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Sam. Okay. Hydro Man takes out Sandman. Electro takes out Hydro Man. Water conducts electricity. Particle well, would man? that necessarily hurt someone made of water? Particle Man does. I mean, he's got like, like I mean, like. Oh man, that's that's human. that's getting into some like really interesting questions. Can he feel what happens? Because it's, like, it's, it's his body turning into the water. Yeah, I mean, like he's. I mean, at least like I like the most of my memories of Hydro Man come from the cartoon more than the comics. Um, and it's funny, like I feel like watching that cartoon, and you're a kid, so obviously, like you really like everything kind of impacts you. I remember, like, thinking Hydro-Man was, like, a huge deal. And I think I've seen him maybe once in, like, the Spider-Man comics I've been reading since, like, 2002. Yeah, well... But he always, like, in the, in the cartoon, he had, like, this total thing for Mary Jane, and he was, like, a stalker, and it was all creepy, all stuff, and I was like, like, oh, shit. But, like, in the comics, it's like Hydro-Man, like, maybe showed up as, like, a member of the Frightful Four one time. Yeah, yeah, and... I feel sort of the same way about Clayface, where Clayface is this character that I know really well from the animated series, and they did really well in the animated series, but I can't think of all of the Batman stories I've read when he shows up. I guess he was in recent Batman, Mm -hmm. but very subdued um, versus like how he usually is. Uh, and like he has to touch someone to get their appearance. It's a whole, you know, very, very different, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so Mary Jane's over with, like, Iron Man now, and she's like, oh, no more Spider-Man for me. Like, what? I haven't read the issue yet, um, but, yeah, that we'll, we'll see how I, that goes. I don't that... think Bendis is going to play her as a love interest for Tony Stark. Um, it sounds like she's almost going to be, like, the new Pepper Potts, who's been noticeably absent from the first few issues of this book. Which, look, the only love interest that Bendis is at all interested in is Kitty Pride. Yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time before Tony Stark and Kitty Pride get get married. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that Iron Man has discovered that um, 
hey, you know what? I don't need to wear this big clunky suit. What if I wear something really, really streamlined and red, but it gives me like really quick reflexes and I have like sensors around so they can like detect things. And you know, like I don't need to get around with flying because there's all these buildings and flying gets in the way. So I'll, I'll, I'll like whip up something that'll shoot out like ropes, ropes that like attach to buildings and I can just swing around on those and uh and uh you know i'll i'll and i'll have things where i can when i when i touch the sides of buildings my like skin will stick to it so i can crawl around on the side of buildings like yeah that sounds like a great idea we'll call myself uh the amazing arachnid boy perfect arachnaman arachnaman oh man oh Let's talk about all of the what if scenarios since we've got some time here. Oh my gosh, let me just pull it up. Yeah, I gotta find that. Let me let me find that real quick. Uh, that uh, was. I mean, some of them I knew of. Like I knew about like the Jane Foster one. Yeah, yeah, um, I've seen the Jane Foster one. So people who don't know, there was a series at Marvel called What If, um, where it was just like, here's a bunch of really really crazy outlandish ideas, and you know, like sort of named them in a way of like, oh, these will never happen. Uh, but some of them have, and we will, when I can find where I sent it so to you. So the first one of the image was, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? Which that uh, would never wait. You know, that uh, during Jonathan Hickman's run, uh, Spider-Man technically joined the Future Foundation uh, while Johnny Storm was presumed dead. Uh, technically, he made up the initial four of the characters, though, so... I, I count that. Um, the second one was, what if the world knew that Daredevil was blind? Now, without reading the issue, um, they don't say that he's Matt Murdock, but they do realize he's blind. Um, so that kind of like it is kind of on the same page, mm -hmm. um, but but not. It, it really depends if they know that he's Matt Murdock in the story, um, which they do now know that he is Matt Murdock. Uh, what if the Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner? That's been done. Um, and done, and done, and done. What if Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor? That is currently being done. Um, and if, oh, what's great is in the issue they called her Thordis. Thordis? Yeah. Instead of Thor, she was Thordis. I, don't, I feel like Thordis isn't really like a feminine equivalent of the name, though. It also doesn't work. What if someone <laughs> Thor else... <laughs> it's it's better than probably Thor girl, which is an actual Marvel character. She Thor. That you'll never yeah, she Thor. What if someone else besides Spider Man had been bitten by the radioactive spider, which has happened? Yep. Yeah, you got Silk, Silk right now being the other person that got bit. Of course in this story, and I think if you read um Spider Verse excuse me, uh the Betty Brant uh had Spider Woman, uh, or Spider Girl as they call her, had like a really bad, ridiculous costume. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd be curious what the Flash Thompson uh, and John Jameson Spider Mans looked like. I mean, Flash Thompson, we've kind of got an idea with Venom. It's Not Venom, really. yeah, so that, that works. Um, uh, I kind of want to look up uh, Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson. Um, what if General Ross had become the Hulk? What if he wasn't uh, yeah, Red the Red Hulk? Hulk? Uh, what if the Hulk had become Barbarian? I'm assuming that means... Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk. And then here's the most outlandish one that would never happen. What if Superman... Or what if Superman... What if Spider-Man's clone lived? And I like that it's... Um, 
I mean, I guess I I don't know which one's supposed to be the clone and which one's supposed to be the real uh, Peter part, real Spider Man. Uh, but the fact that like one of them is trapped inside this apparently a cryogenic tube, and Spider Man saying like this world's not big enough for two Spider Man, which is ironic given the fact that Marvel is saying there is room for two Spider Man, both Peter Parker and Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll never escape the the cryogenic tube. So you're saying that if this is Peter Parker, then he's willingly leaving an innocent soul, technically his soul trapped in a cryogenic tube because he can't bear the thought of having them both running around. If it's the clone... If it's Ben Riley, then that makes sense. That's exactly what he would do. Then then apparently Peter has like a streak of sociopathy in him um, and, you know, is still, again, letting an innocent soul rot inside a a cryogenic tube. Either way, not a good day for Peter Parker. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Is it really ever a good day for Peter Parker, though? No, technically not. And then when he has good days, uh, some asshole writes in a very contrived story in which his entire happiness is unwritten, but just barely. Okay, so (laughs) I just discovered the Flash Thompson Spider-Man panel, uh, and apparently he called himself Captain Spider. What? Dude, it's coming your way. Captain Spider? Yep, Captain Spider. Uh, his hair is visible, and you got to ask, <laughs> how many redheads are there? Because I think he's typically... I feel like he's he's more blonde in current comic books, but uh, he's technically a redhead in uh, in this uh, shenanigans. Did you, did you send it? I'm not getting it. Uh, I didn't send it yet, man. Stop Come on. giving me crap. There it is. There's, um, there's the good stuff. Oh, man. Oh, man. This is just... Showing me how terrible it would be if Spider-Man had his hair exposed. <laughs> how point. how most people, if they had their hair exposed. Hold on, I'll show you the uh, the Betty Brant one. I feel like this. I think sometimes with Marvel, their usage of the what if stories was probably because they'd get letters from people saying like, "Wouldn't this be cool if?" And I think they're less like that now. Now they're like anything goes. Marvel Handies. I think I think they get those letters like, "Wouldn't it be cool if?" And they're like, "Yes, it would. Do it." <laughs> I well, I feel like uh, one staple of of what ifs is generally like it shows you if things didn't go the way they actually did in the comic, the the original comic, things would go horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Oh man, you know? the oh the, that's the that, Betty Brand. That one. that one is so much worse. Cause she's like wearing like a dress and like she's got. Not even a dress, man. That's like a a a one piece bathing suit with no shoulder straps. Oh, it is one piece. Yeah, and then she's wearing Spider Man gloves like down to her elbows, and then a Spider Man mask like full mask. Oh, it's so terrible. It's so very bad. The Flash Thompson one is just hilarious. Um. I actually saw a comment on why these books worked and why they were a lot of fun. And that was because, like, there used to be a baseline where, like, Bruce Banner is the Hulk. So it'd be weird if someone else was the Hulk. You know, there there's only one Spider-Man. There's no clones. So it'd be weird if there were clones. Like, the Fantastic Four are these people. Thor is, like, this guy. And now, like... Now it's just so all over the place, for better or for worse. Some people are unhappy with that. Some people don't really care as much. You know, kind of a more of an anything goes attitude. Or, or it's a, hey, we told these stories. Now we can take the time to tell this story over here. Where it's like, what if isn't, they're not impossible anymore. 
They mm-hmm. are just eventualities waiting to happen. I wonder what other what if stories we will one day see. I mean, the what if book lasted for quite a while, and Marvel actually still utilizes it yeah. nowadays. They'll do like when it's like a five week month. They'll do like a five week event, and each week they'll get an issue. And it's usually they'll do it off of a recent event. Like they had a five issue Avengers vs X Men What If. Um, I think they're actually in the middle of doing a. Uh, Infinity, what if? Hmm. Uh, and they've done other ones in the past too, Secret Invasion, so on and so forth. Sometimes they'll do like five issues, and each one will be a what if of a different event from the last, you know, decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they'll revisit earlier stuff too. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's just definitely a fun concept, and it's fun to just like you. It's allow allow you to just really, really go crazy. Like this is probably the more logical end result of half this stuff. Uh, but you can't obviously approach the, uh, approach the logical conclusion when you have to like keep making money off of these properties. Oh, the trailer's up. The trailer's up? The trailer's up. The trailer's up. Should we just pause and come right back? Yeah, I'm going to pause the show. Pause the show. Bring back the show on back. the show. All right, so now we have seen the trailer. We won't, we won't talk too much about it right now. Uh, but Nick, you feel like you've seen too much. You also feel like you've seen too much, David. Partially. I, it's... I do wish that they had kept the mystery of it being Batman versus Superman for longer. Well, it doesn't really say... It, it, I don't think it, it, it tells you how long the, the altercation right. is going to there's, last. There's still a lot we don't know about this movie. It does kind of reveal, fair. I think, a lot of the major pieces. Though. I mean, if, if anything... It, for those of us who, you know, I think like you and me, where like we can't really help, you know, looking for some of the little details and things, like we've heard rumors that Doomsday is going to be in it. We've heard rumors, you know, about things that Lex Luthor, excuse me, Lex Luthor, we know Wonder Woman's going to be in it. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know the extent, or in some cases, like say Doomsday, if how true that actually was. Mm-hmm. So all this really did was confirm things we poss- we knew were possible, but now know for certain. In the Besides the fact that they are at conflict, and we know that the the macro reason that they're fighting is because of the the Metropolis massacre, right? Um, we don't know like what really like initiates that initial brawl, right? And and there's still you know if you piece all together that we've seen, we've probably seen. I mean, a, a handful of scenes. We've seen less than ten minutes of the movie. So there's still so much that's going to happen and so much that could possibly happen that we just don't straight up know. And, you know, people are going to, like, whine and moan, like, oh, you know, and and just for a fair warning for people um, that you do get kind of a big reveal in this trailer. uh, Don't watch it if you're not looking to get a big reveal. If you want to be blind, and that's totally fair. I think I'll, I'll probably start ramping down on the trailers a little bit here. Um, but it still was like a really cool trailer and still got me really excited. And I definitely said like, oh shit, a couple of times. And I loved that opening scene in the trailer where Bruce and Clark are talking as Bruce and Clark. Um, and I really, I hope we have more scenes like that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually one thing I really wanted was there to be a scene where Clark Kent talks to Bruce Wayne like in an interview of some kind. So I'm actually really excited to see if we get that. And I also really like the way that they're taking Lex based on what we just saw. He uh, very quirky. And I, you know, I, I kind of like it. 
Um, I like when he, you know, shakes Clark's hand and he's like, oh, you're strong. Like, don't get in a fight with this guy. You know, ha ha, very funny. Um, but then there's that scene too where he's talking to to Lois and she's like, you're a psychopath. And he's like, it's a three-syllable word for, I mean, what does he say? Uh, it's a three-syllable uh, word for um, someone who's like too like for, I already for, forgot. Uh, it's but like, it was good. It was it a good was line. Great. Like basically saying like people throw that word around when they don't understand what's going on. Like, oh man, they they get Lex Luthor. Like that's you know he, people would call him like psychopathic and crazy, and he's like, no, you don't under, you don't understand my genius. So I, I'm I'm excited. I I'm, I, I mean, also say, and one thing that you also get is that as dark as the aesthetic is. Um, there's clearly moments of humor, both uh-huh. fairly blatant and and subtle. Like, you know, uh, Clark Kent asking Bruce Wayne about uh, uh, the about Batman in the interview, and him just kind of smirking. smirking it's yeah. a subtle thing, but you're well, like, ah, and there's it's funny thing, because he's Batman. There's that thing too, where it's like my city has a a bad history of people who dress like clowns. That was also a good line, good dig. Uh, it was. Um, I th- I also really like too that they are leaning towards the um, that this is trying to be a hopeful Superman and that people are going to maybe start seeing him that way mm-hmm. um, where he's like the you know one who's like saving people uh, versus the weird idea that people have in their head that Man of Steel Superman is a fear monger uh, even like in this you know he straight up confronts Bruce Wayne and is like Batman's a fear monger and he's like oh, what about that alien you guys have over there? Because that's when, mm-hmm. I think that's how Bruce Wayne talked in the trailer, right? Like, yeah. Also, Ben Affleck's voice for Bruce Wayne slash Batman, he's definitely using a certain inflection mm-hmm. in the voice. It's not your typical Bruce Wayne voice. One thing we haven't seen a lot of, and I want I want to see more of, is Jeremy Irons as Alfred because I think Jeremy Irons is a great actor and his voice is amazing. It is true. I, yeah, I think they're showing us sort of like big teases at like the action sequences, but I Mm -hmm. think this movie is going to have a lot of small intimate moments Mm -hmm. that they're kind of dancing around and not giving to us yet. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also like scenes in this that we, like I said, like if you, count up all the scenes like there's not really a lot in this that we saw i mean there is some very big stuff that we saw here that we haven't already seen in in previous you know previous goes and even oh that thing is getting louder man uh <laughs> really wants that, me to change that, it. that or you're getting closer to it um, no <laughs> no uh even like the big thing that happens is like it's something that we've you know you could kind of see coming like we were kind of building up towards. I think part of the reason they did that is because there's so few, like, like people search out for spoilers. Like, they're already going to be out there. People are already going to be talking about it. And it's like, why don't we? Why don't we just give them the big thing? Maybe, and maybe there's even more to it than what we're seeing. I don't know. There's just so much speculation that I, you know, we could we could spend a lot of time just dissecting even. I think the big outcry at first is people are going to be like, they're showing us way too much. And then people are going to kind of like come around a bit, but this was really cool. And I'm really excited for it. So I just jumped over to CBR Uh and they've posted the trailer with the headline doomsday arrives, a new Batman V Superman trailer. Uh, And you know, now 
like or do they think they're being clever by saying doomsday as in like the end of the world like no one gets that it's totally meaning it totally means doomsday they've actually been really bad with posting spoilers in their headlines lately it's, it's kind have. of annoying not that i didn't just go and ruin it myself anyway but <laughs> like not in the headline man yeah um I started reading comments, which I totally shouldn't do. Yeah, CPR has gotten really bad about that. Uh, but maybe we'll have some more thoughts on the trailer next week. I think maybe it's about time we just ramp down the show. Nick, what do you say? I guess we can let it be. Cool. Well, if you want to find out more about the show... Oh, recommendations. We didn't do recommendations. Uh, oh, I don't really have one, except uh, if you don't mind spoilers... Go check out this trailer. Word. Uh, my recommendation, I don't have to say much on it. I just have to look up the episode number. I occasionally talk about podcasts that I enjoy. So one that I listened to recently was called Fixing the Hobo Suit. It's episode 190 of the 99% Invisible podcast, Fixing the Hobo Suit. And it's actually all about costume design uh, in superhero movies. And what they have to, and they talk about the Man of Steel um Superman outfit and they talk about actually really cool designs and like in the Bane costume uh, for Dark Knight Rises so really really cool um, episode of that and some cool insight into how that industry works you can find out more about the show by heading to heckyeahcomics.com you can email us with your thoughts on the trailer anything that we've talked about or stuff you think that we should read to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can follow me at davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. Uh, you can find Nick... Uh, you can find Nick trying to infect himself with the Hulk. Uh, yes, that was totally awesome. One. Yeah, there we go, cool. And, of course, you can always find us here next week. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. If you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.